All right. Well, this is a, a very special time. This is something that's uh, fun to see families gathered like this midweek um, for the uh, SSS. I kept seeing that on you know emails and things like that, and I think I figured out what it stands for. It's supper, songs, and a sermon, right? Or maybe it's sports and soccer and something. I don't know. Um, but uh, now this uh, super summer series, I know, I know, um, has been moving right along, and there's a there's a lot here that we can. Um, talk about and learn uh, together as families. Um, We have students here and we have adults. So this is a a wonderful time. Um, First of all, I just wanted to say thank y'all. Is that how you say it? (laughs) Did I do it right? Okay, still working on it. It doesn't really roll off the lips, but uh, I'm working on it. But seriously, from Kathy, uh, my daughter too, Maggie, and I, um, just thank you guys. Uh, We have been um, so, so... um, uh, touched by your guys' love, your care, your sacrifice, your generosity. Um, it kind of reminds me of a verse that I kind of dug back into First uh, Thessalonians 4, 9. It says, uh, Paul's writing these words to the church there, and he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers. That is indeed what you are doing. So, um, so there's an echo there from the scriptures of what's going on in this church. So, so that's just a that's just a, a kind of a resonating to to God's uh, glory, to His goodness. Well, um, on our way here, we were making uh, our way. My dad and I were driving the U-Haul truck, and we we're on our second leg, uh, and it was West Texas uh, from El Paso all the way here. And uh, Ken called me, and he said, uh, "Hey." Right, we're in the middle of West Texas, a few hours on the road already. He's like, are you, are you beginning to question God's calling? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he said he did around that part. But, uh, you know, I, I was able to laugh and say, no, no, I'm too excited. Let's get there. But it did take a long time. Um, and, uh, but I will say this. My first few days of being here were kind of interesting. Um, I was driving um, on the way to church here, I think the day before uh, my first official day. And uh, some truck didn't want me to get to church, I guess, because I'm going down 105 in the middle, uh, second lane, and he just comes barreling out, this Texas-sized pickup truck, you know, come out right into where I'm at, not just in my lane, but in the spot in the lane that I was taking up. And so I had to veer out of his way and, uh, and lightly beep to him so to let him know I was, I was right there behind him. So, um, But uh, we're good, got to church safely. On my way home... Um, Maybe someone didn't want me to get home. I don't know. Uh, I headed to down 105, and I'm kind of just waiting for the green light to turn. And I'm thinking, that car is coming really fast. <laughs> like, Whoa. And there was, like, chasers going, the police going right by. I'm like, man, this town is hopping. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. I can barely get to work and, and back to my house safely. Um, youth ministry is going to be tough. Was that a kid driving a car? Uh, 12-year-old? Gee. Uh, I think it was, if you <laughs> read the reports. But, uh, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't care how fast it comes. I'm ready for it. Um, I'm excited. It has been fast. Um, it can't be fast enough for my wife to get here. I can't wait till Maggie and Kathy get here uh, this Saturday. So they'll be flying in and uh, with the dog, too. So hopefully the dog survives on the plane. I think it'll be fine. Um, but uh, all three of them will get here. I'll probably hug them all the way home. I'm driving up 45, so I uh, miss them a lot. So I'm um, very excited to kind of be together with them. But uh, for this super summer series, um, we have been kind of like, picture yourself sitting at the feet of Christ, just listening to the parables. 
You know, it's so cool for, for, for us to be able to open the word and to hear Christ speak to us. Christ address us with the authority that's been given to him on heaven and earth. All of it is his. And we have this privilege to sit at his feet and to hear these parables, things that he taught us. And we have an opportunity to respond to it. So again, we get to do that tonight. We'll be examining um, kind of three aspects of forgiveness. I just want to be up really up front with you guys. Tonight's about forgiveness. Uh, three aspects of forgiveness that we will look at in Matthew 18. So turn there if you have a Bible. Um, and... Uh, Matthew 18, it's not just a passage that has church discipline in it, um, but uh, around there, there's a, a parable starting in verse 23, but we're going we're gonna to actually start two verses before that. So, so get to Matthew 18, 21. My hope is that the Lord tonight will use the gospel to stir each and every one of us up. You, you, all of us, that we would be stirred up with this fresh love for God tonight, and that that would turn into something that would just, our church would just look different because of it. That's, that's my hope. That's my hope. And you know what? There's also a threat, too. There's a threat that if we don't hear this message, and if we don't understand what Christ is saying here, and if we don't, if we just let it kind of go through the ears, and it's only heard but not heeded in our lives, then, you know, our church can just look like the world. It can, it can have relationships that are broken and not fixed. It can have bitterness that's just growing over time because conflict hasn't been resolved according to God's book. There's no, if there's no forgiveness in this place, what makes us distinct? Our love is gone, and it will be worthless coming here. So hopefully it will be worthwhile because of our listening and our following of what we get to look at in this text. I want to um, kind of look at a few uh, verses before we get into the parable, as I mentioned. So let's look first at the setting of the parable. Then we'll actually look at the story of the parable. The setting is just in those two verses, 21 and 22. And then the story is what follows to the end of the chapter. Um, you know, but before these verses, before verses 21 and 22, there's a little bit of setup. Look at chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So here's a question that they come to him, and they're uh, no doubt excited for the kingdom. They believe and they've accepted that he is the king, the rightful king in Israel, and the Messiah to come bring this messianic kingdom, this promised kingdom. And so they're, they're considering, oh, who's the greatest in the kingdom? I'll probably, you know, fix in to see where their seats are going to be in this kingdom, right? Where, where is their real estate going to be in the kingdom? They want to kind of know and see. And so their excitement probably kind of goes over a bound here and turns into a little bit of pride, thinking that they deserve a spot next to him, with him. And what does he do? He uses an example of a child. He picks out a child and he says, consider this, this child. He put him in their midst and he showed them this is the kind of humility you need to have. To be great, to be great in the kingdom of God, which is the eternal plan of God. You have to be childlike in a sense, childlike in your, in your faith, in, in a humility that shows that you have nothing of your own. Children don't come into this world with anything. So we don't come into God's kingdom with any rights, with any accomplishments, with any like badges. Oh, remember me on earth? I did all these things. No, that you get into the kingdom of God solely based on the righteousness of Christ. That's it. It's his badge. And so he's saying you need to be like a child. So some of us are kind of thinking, well, childishness? That's not right. Um, but we need to understand what he's talking about here, this 
Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now the conversation starts to develop a little bit, talking about how the, the disciples or who are truly his disciples and who truly get it have this childlike faith. And then he's saying, watch out though. Watch out when temptation comes because temptation will come. And like we see many children walk into situations and then they fall prey to something. He's warning them, saying that temptation will come, but he says, uh, hopefully it doesn't come because of you. And then he's talking about sin. He gets into verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you. So now he's talking about interpersonal relationships in the church, which will be the church. He's just going to start to talk with them about the church and some of the dynamics in the church. And not only does the Heavenly Father want the little ones, these, these childlike faith disciples to be saved and kept safe, but he wants them to be dealing with sin well. And so he talks with them about how to deal, sin, deal with sin. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take two or three witnesses. So he goes through kind of some steps there of like how to deal with sin in, in, the, in the corporate body of, of, of followers of Christ. So he kind of guides the disciples about how to deal with sin and uh, how it will um, be guided along by the Lord because he cares for the holiness of his church. It's kind of at this point that Peter comes up with a question. So he, he's kind of thinking, you know, and Peter usually speaks when he thinks. Um, and so he, he, he engages Jesus with a question. And this is helpful here in verse 21 now. Jesus will give him a short answer and then a lengthy illustration. Now, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So you think, whoa, man, seven times. Is that a lot? I don't know. What, you know, what do you compare it to? Um, it, it's no doubt that Peter had, had heard um, the Jews talking, especially Jewish rabbis who would talk about forgiveness and when someone sins against you, how many times you should forgive. And they came up with this uh, the saying that uh, actually was recorded and, um, from a, a rabbi, Jose, or maybe it's J-O-S-E. I'm, they probably don't pronounce it Jose. Um, but uh, <laughs> son of Judah in, in 180 A.D. That sounds redundant, but 180 A.D. Okay, so this is really close to the time of Christ. And this is what the rabbi said. He said, if a brother sins against you once, forgive him. A second time, forgive him. A third time, forgive him. You guys get it? But a fourth time, do not forgive him. Okay, so this was just something that the, the um, rabbis would sit around and talk about how, how many times should you forgive someone when they keep sinning against you. And then make an apology or something. So Peter's proposal of forgiving someone seven times, and kind of compared to what maybe had been the discussion during the day, was kind of like really generous. It was like, whoa, Peter. <laughs> I mean, you kind of wonder what, like what reaction Peter was thinking Christ would come up with back to him. Like, whoa, Peter, that's, that, that's really kind of you, but it won't be necessary to go that far. Maybe four or five times tops, you know. Like, yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Peter was thinking. But before we make Peter into too much of a punching bag, which we like to do, um, we need to think practically about this for a second. Okay? Sin happens. It comes up in the church. You've probably been sinned against today once or twice, and it might have been by another Christian, a family member. And you might have been on the other end of that uh, doing something that really offended somebody else. All right? so, so we need to think, okay, let's, let's come up with a, uh, just an illustration. Let's say you're, you're training a young man, and he is uh, doing some construction work. 
I'll leave it general. But uh, let's say he happens to be a believer, and so you get this opportunity to kind of train him to do a few things with uh, the tools and trade that you know. Well, second week on the job, uh, you're training him, and, and your, your tool bags are kind of feeling a little bit lighter. And you're kind of wondering why. And you're kind of noticing maybe you're, you're missing a tool. And so you're kind of looking around different places. And after work, you notice that it kind of looks like one of your tools is, is in uh, your trainee's uh, truck. And you kind of go, oh, that's interesting. I don't remember putting it there. Uh, and then uh, n- another, another week uh, goes by, and you notice I'm, I'm losing more tools. Okay? And, and this guy is, is stealing your tools. He is learning from you, but he is slowly taking them away because he doesn't have any. So he's doing this. And so you confront him, and it goes well. He goes, oh, yeah, I meant to give those back to you. I, I'm sorry. You know, here you go. Okay, great. All right, we're patched up. Got my tools. Ready to go back to work. Let's keep working with this guy. Um, then, then it happens again, just the next week. And you're going, uh, really, is this, is this going to happen again? Uh, this guy um, is not learning a whole lot. And, and so then you go and confront him again, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, my, my bad, you know, or something. He gives it back to you. And so uh, maybe again and again and again, and you kind of feel like maybe there's other things that he's doing to kind of steal your time or steal different things, and you're like, this guy, man, he is not someone who is being trained well. You might find a new use for one of those tools. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, don't hit him. Um, but uh, <clears throat> you, you want to keep forgiving him, but you're like, why, why are you doing this, man? You're making it so hard, and, and there's a test there. And, and, you know, that's kind of a silly illustration, but there's a lot where people will test your limits of forgiveness, right? And you kind of wonder, man, how, how, how long should I put up with this person? Until I just go, bring it down and say, no more. You're out of my life. You're dead to me. Uh, this is over. Something like that. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it might be, might be hard because you could be good-intentioned, well-intentioned. But, you know, hey, after all, giving someone a second try is more common than giving someone a seventh try. right? And uh, Christ's answer uh, goes well beyond three, four, five, seven. Let's look at what his answer is to the question. Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, now here, it's kind of odd. You're like, wait a minute, did he misunderstand Peter's question? Or does, is Jesus going a different direction with this? Or, or what's happening here? He basically says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Whoa. Conventional wisdom would say, draw the line somewhere because this person is going to start hurting you. They're not going to be good for you to keep them around. Uh, but the wisdom of God in Christ says that there's no limit to forgiveness. That forgiveness continues on. And Jesus uses kind of a Jewish idiom. An idiom is kind of like you know, raining cats and dogs. You, know, you don't see those things falling out of the clouds, but um, we all know and we use those. And so when um, these words are used, this uh, seven, uh, not seven times, but 70 times seven, that's kind of an idiom to refer to something else. And it has this idea of like a multiplication of two numbers, seven and ten, making 70, and then the addition of another one, another seven. So it's like, it's like this complete number, that's what seven kind of stands for, times another complete number plus another complete number. So this is like complete, complete, complete. He's just saying this is the, great, the, the most of completion. And you're trying to convey the idea of infinity. So, in short, if your brother sins against you, forgive continually. Don't stop. Continue to forgive. Jesus is saying that there's no time that you should draw a line and, and withhold forgiveness from anyone. 
Forgiveness should always be granted. The Christian should not get used to living in that zone where there's a lot of broken relationships and there is forgiveness that is being withheld. But you know what? I think that's something that a lot of Christians I hear even talk about. And they'll say, well, no, I just can't, I can't forgive them. I can't forgive, I'll, I can never forgive them for what they did. Or I can't find it in my heart to forgive you. Or I am just done forgiving you. And Jesus takes that kind of thinking and he blows it out of the water. And he shows this other kind of forgiveness that's not normal for us. It's not normal at all. And this is really the main point of the dialogue between Peter um, and Jesus here, but Jesus believes there's more to drive home, and so then here comes um, the parable. So let's look at the the story of the parable uh, here now. I'm just going to break it into three acts. It's like act one, act two, act three. So act one, let me read this first, and this is what he says next in verse 23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle... One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and for payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This is act one. And I want to talk with you about the absurdity of forgiveness. The absurdity of forgiveness. Here you have a king that is mentioned first, and it's very fitting because he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, so uh, center stage in that kingdom is the king. And so it must be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So here's a king, and he's calling his officials or his servants who deal with the money matters and all that he owns in his kingdom And he's going to settle accounts, make sure that he's not out money. Um, It's kind of a, this is a good message for the future, Ken, for like April 15th, you know, around tax day. So, um, no, I don't know. Do we pay our taxes in the same? I don't know if Texas is different. But um, anyways, um, one one of the king's officials or servants uh, owed him a great deal of money. So we see that right away. There's one guy, he owes a lot. Now, how much exactly does he owe? It says, you know, 10,000 talents, verse 24. So 10,000, there's a lot of numbers in this. So we have to try to put our mind around what these numbers mean. So 10,000 was like another way of referring to the largest uh, common uh, number. So when someone was using a big number, they would say 10,000 something. 10,000, that was, that, was that was their way of talking about an enormous number. In our house, it's a different number. When I hear um, my six-year-old daughter, Maggie, who she's proven several times in the car that she can count to 100. <laughs> so she's going up and going back. And going. Um, so she's, do, she's got that down. She's got up to 100. And so as a kid, you kind of think like, whoa, what's after 100? You know, I tell her, it's 101. You know, it just keeps going. And so she's like, 101, 100. She tries it out. I'm like, yeah, you got it. Good. And so she's really curious. So she's asking me, what's after, like, what's bigger than 100? That's, you know, so I'm telling her about 1,000, and I'm telling her about a million. She's like, oh, her eyes are getting bigger. And then she makes up a bigger number to try to, like, one-up me or several up me. And she's like, well, can you, Dad, can you count to a quadrillion? I'm like, quadrillion? Like, it sounds too close to be right. But um, so this is, the, like, the big number now. So now she always asks me when she, like, be quiet in the car, and she'll say, Dad, 
can you count to a quadrillion? <laughs> like, I don't even know how to respond to her because it's not a real uh, number, but uh, she's just kind of curious, like, man, like, can you count that high? And uh, it, just, it just perplexes her, this, this number that's just super big, that, like, I don't even know another number outside of that or beyond that. And that's kind of the idea here, that the servant owes a quadrillion dollars to the king. It's a ton. So the measurement here is also important. So it's not only 10,000, so this like innumerable, innumerable amount, but it's 10,000 talents. A talent is like the largest form of, of currency in, in, in the money system. And so if you were to try to you know, use the, the biggest dollar amount or coin or something like that, that this would be it, the talent. Um, and uh, using the most likely conversion methods and, and rates historically uh, recorded, um, you could kind of come out to uh, several million dollars that he's talking about here. So this is a number that is just millions and millions of dollars. So he, owns, he owes a lot to the king. Uh, by comparison, uh, King Herod, uh, uh, Herod the Great, um, he had an annual revenue for his entire kingdom that came out to about 900 talents. And that's the entire kingdom in, in Israel uh, back then. So 900 talents. And here he's talking about 10,000 talents. So this is an enormous number. And it was a number that didn't quite fit in their comprehension. And that was exactly what Christ wanted to try to do. He put, put a number in their minds that was just kind of like, whoa, there can't be anything bigger. Can't be anything higher. So in Act 1 here, the king does what is very reasonable. The guy owes him quadrillion dollars. He's got all this, uh, that, that he, this debt that this servant owes. Okay? And he takes him and, and he takes all that's, all that's his. He takes it back from him. He takes all that's his. He takes his family. He takes him and he's sold as a slave. It's reasonable. A king can do that. It's all his. He has the authority to do that. Uh, payment must be made. He can't, he can't argue his way out of it. He's one of the servants. He's not the king. It's not his stuff, and he owes him this. There, there's no way that he can even become, like, come close to giving him payment and making payment, too. It's such a big number. Um, we, we kind of, it, it's kind of interesting because we've been talking about buying a house here in Texas, and so my wife and I will be talking about numbers that are around six digits or something like that, and um, my daughter, again, sitting in the back of the car, um, she said the cutest thing the other day. She, um, she goes, um, you guys can have some of my money if you want. <laughs> I was like, she had a little jar. It has, like, coins in it. It was so precious. So, like, we kind of paused, like, wait, what is she is she listening to us? Like, does she know what she's talking about? Um, and, uh, and, and then she confirms it by saying, you know, for our new house, <laughs> it was so cute, but at the same time, it's so worthless. You can't do anything with a little jar of money. I'm sorry, Maggie, you can't. Um, and uh, it just doesn't compare, right? You walk up to someone who owns a home and you say, I got this. You know, they're going to look at you and go, <laughs> you know, they're just going to laugh and shoo you away, right? Worthless. So it, it's kind of like whatever this guy could offer to the king, he would just be holding out the little jar, saying, eh? yeah, it, it just doesn't compare. It's not even close to the same level. So speaking of a worthless contribution, this servant falls to his knees. He realizes he has nothing, so what does he do? He goes flat, just hits the ground, and he begs. It's desperation, right? I, I have nothing. I'm, I'm caught. I'm out. I'm, I'm in debt beyond what I could even comprehend and he pleads, and he says, please be patient with me, and I'll pay you everything. Be patient with me, and have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. 
Now, sadly, if he had a thousand lives to live one right after the other, he still wouldn't get there. And so it's really going to fall short, terribly short. Uh, knowing that he would never get back everything that he, that he um, owes him, the king takes pity on the poor servant who's in debt. And he didn't grant him his request and give him more time so he could pay him back. That would just exasperate him, right? Okay, you can have more time. I'll be patient with you. You're never going to get there. So the king actually goes beyond that. Instead of giving back to me all that you owe to me, I'm going to pardon you. All of that, that you can't even fathom how great it is, that number, it is forgiven. And you're released. You no longer have to be a slave. Your family no longer enslaved. All of your things no longer taken away from you. So now, he, just out of the pity of the king, he gets, he gets freed. Not out of payment, but out of pity from the king that he was freed, that he could now go and walk. And I mean, just walking away from that moment, you'd almost wonder a few things. One, was the king uh, telling the truth? This seems too good to be true. Uh, maybe two, like I'm kind of scared and happy. There'd be a mixture of emotions. Uh, three, I mean, if you realize it was a real deal and you got out from under that debt, you'd probably want to tell a lot of people, right? Or, or be at least joyful about it. Uh, and, and just burst with, with thankfulness and gratitude. Now, forgiven and free. And it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's, it's, it's the absurdity of, of forgiveness. It's absurd that that debt would be cleared. There was no payment given. It was just simply out of pity for him. Love, compassion, Mercy. But that's not the end of the parable. Act 2 comes in, and this is the abuse of forgiveness. The abuse of forgiveness. Look at verses 28 to 30. But when that same servant, so keep locked on him, okay, that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, probably not far from there, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now this is an abuse of forgiveness. And this is where it gets a little personal, a little uncomfortable for us because we're um, able to do this. And it's probably happened today. But we need to think, think about this personally. So the king's servant had been in, in some position of delegated authority to be in the king's presence. And so then he's, you know, so he's settling accounts and all of this. But as he's been forgiven, and I'll call him for now the forgiven servant, because he's just been forgiven and freed, he walks out of the king's presence. They're probably descending down the steps, because you know, the king's presence is usually higher up in the palace. Uh, and, and then here comes uh, this, other, this other servant, a fellow servant. Now, uh, you would think he probably would look to that servant and tell him, dude, you don't, you don't know what just happened. I, I owed this much, but the king, he just said a complete pardon. And you, know, you would think he'd be like happy to tell this other person or, or something like that. But no, what is he thinking about? Not what he just uh, was forgiven, but what this man now owes him. That's all that he could see. That was, all, that was on his vision, and that was all his mind was, was concerned about, was that this man, this man owes me money. And uh, he doesn't treat him well. He doesn't treat him well. Um, he, he, he treats him very poorly. If 
if you look at uh, the difference between what's owed, it's very, very different from what he owed to the king. So this servant owes this forgiven servant 100 denarii. Now, a denarii is like a day's wage, and so you've got 100 denarii. Um, this could be, some say it's, it's, a, it's days uh, wages, some say it's weeks or close to a you know, month or months. And so this is actually a reasonable amount of money to be able to pay somebody back. You know, if this guy said, hey, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. You can probably go, okay, let's make a plan, and you can pay me back this money, and you'll probably get your money in a certain amount of time, right? Uh, it wasn't an unreasonable amount of money. And, and so that, that's one of the things that's interesting. The only word that's left out with um, the, the plea there, when he says, have patience with me, and I will pay you, uh, I will pay you. He doesn't say, I will pay you everything like the guy did who was desperate because he, I'll pay you everything. He was just speaking more emotionally, and he knew that his debt was so big. This man saying, I'll pay you. Like, I don't need to say everything. He was like, yeah, it'll be, it won't be hard to do. We can do this. So there shouldn't be any reason for discord, bitterness, fighting, choking of the neck, you know, all these things that these things shouldn't be happening. Uh, the forgiven servant, however, didn't act wisely but he acted only like a fool would know how to act in that moment. He demanded payment, and he demanded it right there, and then grabbed him by the throat, begins choking him, and demands him to pay what he owes. It's so familiar to what he has just happened, but it, what has he just gone through, but a flipped role. So now here's the, the servant that's been choked, and he's, he's now fallen to the ground, and he's begging uh, the forgiven servant, and he's asking him for mercy. And this man does not want to give him mercy. He wants to get from him money. Where the king was granting mercy, the forgiven servant refused to grant that same mercy, not at a lot smaller price. Forgiveness just a moment ago flowed full and free to him. And now it's dried up in just a few steps, and it hasn't run to this man. Where did the forgiveness go? Where did the mercy go? Where did the gospel go? It had no effect. It fell short of its purpose, of its point. Look at verse 30 with me. It kind of scares me, this one, because I want to make it as personal as possible. And so I've done that with myself. Look at verse 30. It says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Um, this is, I know this is a parable, and so there's um, metaphor and metaphoric language being used here, but it kind of helps us think about how we might have, um, maybe in our minds, locked some people up until they pay us back, and, and, and we're not going to let them out until they do something to get back on our good side. Like, they owe us. They're our debtor. Um, and, and I've felt that way. I've had moments, even in ministry, with other believers where I've felt that way. Sometimes uh, where I felt like this person owed me a big thing, a big apology, a big something in return. Or maybe it was small, but there were lots of small things. And, and you know, in, in a sense, I felt like I was this guy. And I've, I, I've, I've viewed that person as like, almost like I could picture them in my mind. And they're like behind bars in my mind. You know, like I have, I have locked them up. They're not free in my mind. They owe me something. So it's good for us to ask, who are your debtors? Who are your debtors? Who, who is your offender lately? Who's the one who has offended you? Who owes you that you feel like, oh, they owe me 
I don't know what it is. That's for you to determine. Who is in the, the doghouse to you? That's an expression, right? Um, you're in the doghouse until you get things right. Maybe whose, whose picture is on the dartboard at your house? Um, I don't know. Hopefully you're not doing that. But uh, <laughs> throwing darts right at their face. But um, it could be, you know, an, an old friend's number that you blocked. It could be um, someone that you just avoid like the plague and you see them coming and you just find the, the quickest way around that person just to avoid them, steer clear of them. Maybe you're demanding a payment from someone so they can get back on your good side. And you're just, you're kind of punishing them. They have to go through a punishment in order for them to be free. Now, now stop thinking about them. And, and what does your lack of forgiveness show? What does your lack of forgiveness show? What does it reveal about your heart? What does it reveal about where you've been in your mind? Does it show that you've just walked out of the presence of the king forgiven? Does it, does it show that you have a fresh appreciation for all of your sins being forgiven? And, and you realize how offensive your sins are to God? Uh, or does it show that you have minimized those thoughts? And the thoughts of the gospel and those things of God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness are good, good concepts, but they haven't really impacted me and it hasn't been personal to me. Maybe you haven't bent the knee to the Lordship of Christ and received mercy for your sins yet. And that's why it's hard to show mercy to people. Maybe you have a long list of people who are your offenders. Maybe you are just stocked full and, and you just are weary by it. And it's just overwhelming to you. And that's your life. That's your mind is that everybody is against you and there are all these people that are, have, have hurt you and have not made amends. And, and all you can think about is protecting yourself. It could be that mercy is not just dry from you to those people, but that it's dry the other way as well, from God to you. And it's not God's fault. It's been shown there. It's on us. We have so much forgiveness, but how much do you show? We have so much forgiveness, but how much do we show? I want to kind of drop down now to uh, verses 30 to 35. This is the Act 3 here, Act 3. Verse 31 says this. When his fellow servants, so these are other servants, saw what had just taken place, this absurdity, this, this abuse on this first man's part, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt, all that debt, because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Jesus says this to conclude and wrap it up. Don't miss it. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Act 3 here is about the abolishment of forgiveness. The abolishment of forgiveness. I want to word this carefully so you can understand what we're talking about and what we're not talking about here. 
Okay, so Act 3 has to do with the king again. So this man leaves. He's been forgiven this debt that is uncountable, innumerable. And he goes away, finds a man who owes him, and he chokes him out, throws him in jail, and shows no mercy after he's just been shown full mercy and full and complete pardon and forgiveness. Others see it and go, that's not right. So they tell the king. So this is probably all happening within the palace near, nearby, not far. And so they report it to him, the king, the master. And so when he confronts him, he has some other words to say. So now we can't really refer to him as the forgiven servant because that's kind of outstanding. You're kind of wondering, whoa, maybe not. And what does he say of him? You wicked servant. You wicked servant. Gives me a little bit of chills to think that there could be people in the church that he, that he could use those words of thinking of the wicked servant. And we thought, no, I'm a servant. Yeah, I, I'm a Christian. I, I follow him. I'm okay with going to church. We could fit into this category of the wicked servant. And the king is wise and, and he's just, just as much as he is merciful. We saw his mercy and now we see his, his justice. How is, how is this wicked servant's behavior justifiable in any way? In any way. There's no way to dice it. There's no way to, to get him off the hook. Okay, so the king is just filled with fury. He's filled with anger. I, I can't believe that you have done this. And what everyone has just witnessed. So the fate of the servant who appeared to be forgiven and free at first became plain to everyone. He's, he may not be, actually, because he withheld forgiveness, forgiveness is being withheld. He never received forgiveness for his debt in the first place, is what's going on here. He didn't have it and then have it taken away. It was offered to him, but never fully received. That's what we're talking about. Because of the hard-hearted condition inside of him against the Lord, he actually remained in debt to the king the entire time. He was thrown into jail for an eternal payment, what his punishment deserved, um, what his payment required. And he thought nothing of his forgiveness. He thought nothing of it. There was this great extension of mercy from the king to him. He looked at it and he basically went the other way and parted from it, never receiving it in the first place. And, and, and again, it just makes me wonder how much we have heard of this great God who descended to us in Christ and gave us mercy and grace, and we go, that's great, wow. And we can talk about it. We could even know the words that go along with it, and then we can just kind of walk right away from the king's presence and know nothing of how that channels through us to other people. So was it ever connected in the first place? No, it was never received. And that's what was going on with this man, this wicked servant. So it's really not an abolishment of the forgiveness that he once had received, but rather an abolishment of the forgiveness that he could have received if he received it by faith. And that's why it's so important for us to receive this by faith. The Lord teaches us here something that's very clear, and we need, to, we need to stick this right in our mind as we kind of part from here. We can talk about it, and hopefully it's something that will be natural to talk about in our conversations. That if you want to know a telltale sign, if you have received forgiveness from God and been saved, you're someone who shows forgiveness to others. That's it. Just, just grab onto that thought. 
You've got it. Okay? If you are someone who knows what it's like to look in the eyes of your offender and to forgive them from the heart and to know that the forgiveness you're granting them is what you've only received. Then you go, I've got plenty of this. <laughs> I could give all day because I've been shown more than I ever need. And this forgiveness is rich. It is full. It is free. I've not paid for it. It will be given free. You don't owe me for me to give you this mercy, this compassion, this forgiveness. So we need to ask, is it a pattern in your life uh, of forgiving others? Or is it the opposite? Is it a pattern of bitterness? A pattern of resentment? A pattern of punishing people in our minds and role-playing about how you were treated and how someone's words hurt you and you just keep going over that and over that and just digs you deeper into this rut of frustration and anger. That's not a good sign. Is there free and full flow of grace and mercy coming from God to you and through you to others? Listen to these words. We are forgiven to forgive. Someone said that early in the, earlier in the office today when we were talking about this, and I was like, that's got to stick in my mind. So we're forgiven to forgive. And if you do not forgive, you have not been forgiven. So as Ken warned, it's a little bit in your kitchen. It's a little bit hot, you know, this, this truth. But at the same time, don't forget this enormous debt that has been wiped away completely and fully. So let me close in prayer. Father God, please take this church and help us to see the glory of the gospel. Help us to see how extensive your mercy and your grace is. Help us to know in some measure the measureless kindness that you have shown to us in Christ. Help us to have a fresh appreciation with this parable here and some illustration that could be branded on our minds and remind us that when we find it hard to forgive others for their offenses to us, that it would ping our minds back one, one relationship and look, cause us to look to you and to see how you have granted full and free forgiveness to us, just out of your pity, not out of our payment. We could never pay for it, but you have a kindness that just continues to be new every morning, and we see how rich it is. So, Lord, may we be just rich with grace in the way that we've received it and rich with grace and mercy in the way that we show it. Lord, may that be a distinct mark on this church among this community and even uh, uh, with the other churches as well. Lord, that you would be uh, alive in a real way. Your gospel would be transforming lives and, and showing people the hope that they can be forgiven of their sins and shown this favor that comes from God not by human payment, because it's just a joke, but solely based on your kindness and your desire to pardon. So God, thank you. And we pray that tonight is a rich time of fellowship. In your name, amen.